Welcome to the Urban Shepherds Podcast. We are a community of urban Christian pastors and leaders serving together to advance God's kingdom. This podcast is for men and women interested in being encouraged by lectionary teachings, inspirational stories, and a fellowship of urban believers. The Urban Shepherds Podcast Hour will include four brief scripture insights on each assigned weekly lectionary Bible text to help you understand God's Word, or if you're teaching on the text, it can help you prepare for the week's sermon. These studies are provided by Christian leaders from around the country. We'll also include some amazing testimonies, great ministry highlights, and interviews with people advancing God's kingdom in the city. Listen every week as we grow together as a movement of God's people. Well, the gang is all here, you Urban Shepherds podcast listeners. I can't wait for you to join us in this study of the uh, fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Our topic is Let Your Light Shine. I can't wait to hear all the stories from all over the country that allows us to testify that God is shining in our lives. This week, we're going to have fantastic, again, contributors. We've got two returning contributors, Kyle Brooks, pastor at Tapestry Church in Oakland, California, and then also uh, Tina Busnitz, fantastic uh, woman of God, uh, leader of retreats, and and just has a passion for uh, women and serving them. Uh, Can't wait for you to hear her. And then we've got a new contributor. A good friend of mine, Andrew Medlin in St. Louis. Can't wait for you to hear uh, his heart uh, and his love for God as well. Well, we've got our uh, Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'll just be reading that. Hope that you can reflect on that and receive what God has for you. And then Kyle is going to be giving us our Psalms reading in Psalms uh, 112, verses 1 through 10. And Andrew is going to give us our study on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And then Tina uh, bringing up the powerhouse at the end, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Look, we have an amazing group of people, including you. It is you that makes this body, this spiritual life that we're living together worth uh, living through the trials and the tough times. I believe and, you know, we as a, a church, believe that it is the victory of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ that invites us all to live this intimate relationship with God. And really, we can't do it without each other. You know, that spirituality that you have in your life, it is that that connects the body of Christ, connects us all together in this victory. And we can't do it alone. Christ says we're a body and that body has to be connected one to another. It is the only way that we can truly live Christ in our lives today. I can't wait for you uh, to uh, hear our studies today. Let's begin with prayer. Set us free, O God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
All right, well, let me go ahead and give you our uh, Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 2. I hope prepare your hearts. If you have your Bibles out, go ahead and open it up, and let's hear and meditate on what the Lord has said through the prophet Isaiah, beginning with verse 1. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfying the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Amen. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. I believe that as we meditate on this scripture, that the Lord will touch your heart and give you the insight, even into fasting, into freedom that God wants for you in your life. 
All right, so let's get ready for our Psalms reading. Uh, Again, grab your Bibles, open it up to Psalms 112, verses 1 through 10, and let's hear from Pastor Kyle Brooks at Tapestry Church in Oakland, California. Well, hello, friends. My name is Kyle Brooks, and I am from Tapestry Church in Oakland, California. Welcome to the Urban Shepherds podcast. Our text for today is Psalm 112. That's Psalm 112, and I'm going to be reading it for us right now. Here it goes. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in the darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, one of the questions I have for today in this text is, what does goodness really get you? There was a popular book out not long ago called The Secret I believe it was even on Oprah's book list. And the secret holds this basic principle that like attracts like, which means that if you do good things and if you put good energy out into the world, good things will come back to you. Which, frankly, is a little naive, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have done something good that backfires? And and, and how many times have we been blessed even though We weren't actually that good. I mean, how could we believe something like that in a world where the phrase obtains, nice guys finish last? We live in a dog-eat-dog world. So it seems like the, the secret is actually not very descriptive of the way the world really is, but the problem today is that it seems like on first read of this text, it seems almost like Psalm 112 is like the Christian version of the secret. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Their children will be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches will be in their houses. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. The righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They'll have a legacy It seems like the psalmist is saying that goodness gets you blessings, that goodness makes your life easy and rich and long. But how can we believe that any more than we believe the secret? Sometimes nice guys do finish last. Sometimes doing the right thing requires sacrificing money or fame or even comfort or physical well-being. 
Well, the first thing I want to point out is when we're talking about what goodness really gets you, that the psalmist seems to have an answer to the question, what does goodness really get you? The psalmist seems to have a steadfast conviction that it gets you blessing, but the blessing doesn't necessarily look like the way the world would have it look. This psalm doesn't look at life through rose-colored lenses. In fact, we see that pointed out in verse 4. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. In other words, the upright experience darkness. But for some reason, because they're upright, there is light even in the midst of that darkness. Again, in verse 7, they will have no fear of bad news. In other words, they hear bad news. There is bad news in their life, but the difference between the upright, the difference between those who fear the Lord and who find great delight in his commands and everybody else is that they have no fear of bad news because they trust God. You see, this text is more like a proverb than an epistle, but it takes into account the real darkness and the real bad news in our lives. And it, and it tries to reorient us to the question, what does goodness really get you? It gets you the good life, yes, but it gets you a different kind of good life than simply more money, more power, more fame, more ease, more relationships, You see, goodness, the good life, is relative to the person who has it. (laughs) The goodness of a good person's life isn't all about their circumstances. I mean, $100 seems like riches to somebody who doesn't need money, who isn't anxious about money, and who sees everything as a gift from God. Whereas a million dollars won't seem like nearly enough to a very greedy person. See, the person who fears the Lord is wealthy by virtue of everything they have from the Lord. A person who fears the Lord sees what comes to them as goodness. Like verse 5 says, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. It's not just that their life will be objectively easier than everybody else's. It's that they will see it. They will understand it to be good. See, the type of goodness that comes to those who fear the Lord is a type of goodness that can't be taken away by our context, that can't be taken away by the darkness in our lives or by the bad news. The goodness that comes to those who fear the Lord is a steady goodness based in the trustworthiness of God. But then the next question comes, what does it actually mean to be good? What does it actually mean to be good? And the secret to to this question, as as it's revealed in this psalm, is based actually on the structure of this psalm compared with the structure of the previous psalm, Psalm 111, because Psalm 112 is actually a couplet with Psalm 111. Psalm 111 talks about the character of God. Psalm 112 talks about the character of the person of God the character of the one who fears God. And actually, there, is, there are a couple of times where, where this psalm actually almost repeats verbatim and it reflects, it mirrors Psalm 111. So for example, in verse 3b, 
It talks about the, their righteousness endures forever. Psalm 111 verse 3b talks about God's righteousness. Psalm 112 verse 4b says, those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, the exact same words that are describing the character of God in Psalm 111 verse 4b. In other words, in answer to the question, what does it mean to be good? It means that, that you are a mirror of God's own character. It means that God's character is reproduced in you. So even when, when, um, when we are asking the question, what does it mean to be good? It can't be a, simply a list of principles that we follow. It has to be an understanding of who the Lord is, who, what the character of God is from a deep understanding of his story and reflecting that in our lives and taking delight in it. I'll say one more thing about what it means to be good according to this psalm is that it seems that it is always accompanied by overwhelming generosity, justice, and compassion for the poor. We read in verse four that the upright is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. That he is one who, who, who is generous and lends freely and conducts their affairs with justice. In verse nine, that they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. You see, the character of God is always directed in compassion and justice for the poor. Even when Jesus, when, when the rich young ruler encounters him, when Jesus is asked, what, what, what do I need to do to be truly good? You see, I've followed all of the commandments. Jesus says, just one thing is lacking. Give what you have to the poor. And the fact that the rich young ruler couldn't do it shows that he was following God's commands, but not like verse one tells us, delighting in God's commands. You see, because the one who delights in God's commands shares the character of God and the character of God is always compassionate and just toward the poor. Okay, so lastly, lastly, the, one of the questions I've always, I always have for scripture is where do we see God in this? Where do we see Jesus in this? Because this text is not just talking about the person of God. It's talking about it's not just talking about the man of God. It's talking about God's own person. It's talking about God's own character. And friends, the reason we have such a standard for goodness is because this is who God is to us. This is because he has shown himself to be this way, to have this kind of character in the person of Jesus. You see, in Jesus, he was so generous that he gave even his own life for us. In Jesus, he was compassionate even to the worst sinner, to the poorest of the poor, to the most outcast person. In Jesus, he freed the prisoner and found justice for the oppressed. You see, Jesus, as the New Testament puts it, is the exact, is the image of God. He is the exact reproduction of God's character in human form. Jesus in his, in his greatest act, in his greatest reproduction of God's character, in a mirroring of the Father, went to the cross. No, he didn't get rich. No, he, he didn't seem like he was going to have a legacy because he was about to die a shameful death on the cross. But, but actually, he was getting rich on the cross. Actually, he was developing a legacy on the cross. 
Because it says in Hebrews that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And in Ephesians, that, that we inherit the, the heavenly riches of Jesus. You see, he was raised from the dead. And God gave him the name that was above every name. Why? Because he reproduced the character of the Father in his own person. And he reproduced it toward us. Friends, we can be a person of God, a man or a woman of God, because Jesus was God's own reflection toward us, because we have received God's character in ourselves through Jesus Christ. That's our lesson for today from Psalm 112. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Urban Shepherds in the season of Epiphany. Take care. Thank you, Pastor Kyle, for that great study on Psalms 112. I did appreciate it, and I'm sure that our podcast listeners appreciate your study into the Word. Okay, let me introduce you to a new podcast contributor, uh, Andrew Medlin. Uh, What an amazing guy. I can't wait for you to hear his heart. He and his wife, Adria, serve as missionaries, urban missionaries in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, just have such a heart and for uh, so many years uh, have served not only uh, their neighbors, but just, you know, serve the the toughest, uh, roughest places in the city. I hope that that you uh, find out more about his ministry and uh, his wife's ministry. You've heard her on the podcast. I can't wait for you to hear her again coming up in the next few weeks. So Andrew is going to give us our study on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. So grab your Bibles and let's hear the heart of uh, Andrew Medlin. Greetings, friends and fellow CTV leaders and pastors. It's great to be with you today, uh, just to spend some time with you. Hey, uh, I'm Andrew from St. Louis. Hope you all are doing well as we think about celebrating today as the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. Uh, what a great time to be and celebrate in the church year. Uh, it's a great joy to be with you today. I want to talk about 1 Corinthians 2, uh, all of that chapter, the 16 verses in that today. Our topic for the week is let your light shine. I'm going to read that tonight um, in the New Living Translation. Uh, Might be a little different than what you're used to teaching and um, uh, reading in, but just want to really love that version. So I'm going to read that now. Um, So 1 Corinthians 2. 1 through 16, and in my Bible, it's entitled Paul's Message of Wisdom. Verse 1, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet, when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world, who are soon forgotten. 
No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that we previously hidden is now, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. Verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated for others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Amen. So I'm thinking about let your light shine in, in this week's topic and looking through these 16 verses. There's a, there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm not going to make it deep or really, uh, theologian on you this week. I'm going to keep it pretty simple in just a few minutes that we have. You know, Paul comes at them and Paul, you, we all know about Paul. He can persuade you. He's a mighty speaker, right? Uh, uh, but he did not come as an expert right here in this passage. Uh, he simply came as a witness um, of things that he has seen. He talked about, you know, having human wisdom. He talking about having excellence of speech and all of those things. But that's not how he came this time. Um, he simply really wanted to put the emphasis on who Jesus was, um, what he did, uh, him being crucified and totally not on himself. I think it's really good for us as leaders and pastors, um, sometimes um, we just forget. We can flat out simply get in the way of the gospel. Um, it's, it's good to remind ourselves here that we need to be a servant of the gospel, um, not make it about us, not not be haughty, not put the limelight on us. Um, let's really put about Jesus and his wisdom um, and who he is, the life, uh, the death, the resurrection, the everything about who Jesus is. That's what Paul wants to hone in on. Um, our faith really should not be all about us, but it should be about the wisdom and the power of God, just straight up. Um, the last half of this section moves on to really talking about the wisdom and the role in, of the Holy Spirit. And I really love this section of scripture. Um, so if we think about God, how do we know God, right? Like, how do we um, really, when we say to others, like, here's how you know God, we 
see a world that's searching, right? Like everybody's like, who's God? Why would he do all of this? There's so many questions about God. Um, but straight up, God's wisdom is only known by the Holy Spirit, right? We cannot know who God is without the Holy Spirit. That is a crucial way. We can talk about the attributes of God. We can share testimonies. But if people don't have the Holy Spirit, that gift of the Holy Spirit inside of them, they're never going to understand really about uh, the character and who God really is on a deeper level. No one knows God without the Holy Spirit. Um, so we can rejoice, right? We can rejoice that we are the chosen ones, that we can know the many amazing and wonderful things that God has freely given us, right? He's freely given us. Why? Because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift. It's so incredible. Let's not forget that. Let's not take it for granted. Let's remind ourselves and rejoice once again in a new lens through this passage that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can know who God is. So how do we tell others? about what we have, right? How do we do that? Uh, we must use spiritual truth and we must use the words and the grace that only comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Let's model what Paul did in this passage. Let's not make it about ourselves. He talked about who the Lord was. He talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. He talked about his life, his death, his resurrection. Um, we cannot make this about ourselves. We've seen what church is all about today. We've seen the limelight. We've seen the uh, lights, the speakers, the amazing entertainment. It's not working. Only the power of the Holy Spirit, only those spiritual truths that he gives us and that reveals to us why we are doing these things, why we are reading scripture again. He's revealing himself to us. Let's brag about that. Let's show him off. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget that great joy we have. And that's, my friends, CTV pastors and leaders. That is how we let our light shine. That is how we show off the, this topic this week. How are we going to let our light shine? We simply do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that this is what the uh, Holy Spirit ingrains in each of you once again this week. If you've forgotten it, may you be reminded. If you've laid lull in it, may it revive you this week. This is the time that the Holy Spirit has given you right now. This is the time, this is the season for your life and for ministry, for your marriage, for your family, for your your church. Let us get the wisdom, the life, the joy, the amazing story of who God is. We know that. Let's show that off. That's what's going to save this dying world. That's what's going to uh, bring others to Christ. And that's what should unify us as leaders together in this great CTV movement. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you tonight. I implore you to keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for leading your uh, churches and our prayers with you that the Holy Spirit would be alive and well and that you would uh, that you would do justice and show him off well this week we love you and have a great week thank you andrew i love your heart and i'm sure that our podcast listeners are going to enjoy hearing more from you in the weeks to come all right so let's get ready for again a powerhouse uh, woman of god tina Buznitz, who's actually also uh, the uh, spouse and uh, partner with our uh, bishop uh, darren Buznitz, uh their family and their three boys uh, what an amazing family they're also 
urban missionaries believing by faith that God has called them to the hardest and darkest places to serve and bring light and hope to the city. So uh, Tina's going to give us our study in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Open your Bibles. Let's hear from the Lord. Let's see his life in action. Can't wait for you to hear. Let your light shine in Matthew chapter 5. passage I am going to be sharing on is Matthew chapter 5, and I will be focusing my thoughts on verses 13 through 16. And verse 13 starts out, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, when we think about salt today, we think mostly about seasoning our food and, you know, maybe putting too much on it. Our doctor's telling us to put less on it. Uh, We think of salt in those terms. But in Bible times, the main role of salt would be for preservation. It was used and lots of it to preserve meats and other foods because they didn't have refrigerators. Well, in the same way, Christ is calling his disciples to preserve truth in a world where corruption and moral decay were prevalent. He is telling his disciples, you must be the salt. You must preserve my words and my teachings. Now, the thing about salt is that it's going to lose its effectiveness if it's mixed with impure substances. If that happens, it's no longer going to be able to be a preservative. So likewise, if we as believers fail to stand for truth and speak out against evil, our witness is compromised and we are not fulfilling what God has called us to do. So what does this look like for us? For me, when I think about that, I think about maybe churches or Christians who compromise biblical truths in order to be accepted by the world. We may buy into the lie that in order to be more inclusive, We need to compromise or adapt a scriptural truth so that we can make peace with what the Bible demands and what the world demands. And this can be a big temptation for us. We want to be able to be a place where everyone feels loved and accepted. And that is great. We definitely want to do that. But sometimes we we feel that we really should sort of bend the truth or adapt it in a way so that it changes what the word of God says, because we don't want to make anyone feel bad. And, and this way we kind of lose our witness because we're beginning to look more like the world. Now, obviously we should be students of the word and we should take into account context and other things so that we're not just taking everything literal. I get that. We need to examine what God is truly saying to his people. However, it can be tempting to use academic knowledge to explain away a hard truth. In fact, in John chapter 6, when Jesus proclaimed to his followers, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Verse 60 says that upon hearing this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So this is nothing new, that what Christ is saying is hard to accept. It isn't always easy to swallow. The message of the Bible is controversial and it will not please everyone. And while God calls his followers to love everyone, he also calls them to be a light in the darkness. So we look at verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We knew, we know that Jesus is the light of the world and his followers, as his followers, we are called to reflect his light. And one of the ways we do this is through good works, through the Holy Spirit working in us. How we treat others, the way we talk to people, how we conduct ourselves at work, how we parent our children, and the way we treat our neighbors are all ways in which we can direct others to God. Or if we're doing this badly, how we can detract others from God. They will come to see our light if we are behaving as God has called us to do, and they will come to know the ultimate light, Jesus Christ, who is the light and life giver. Now, both of these metaphors of salt and life raise some important questions on how we are to conduct ourselves in society. Sometimes there are believers who feel that they need to withdraw, isolate themselves, kind of a fortress mentality, so they don't become corrupted by the world. And this can be a real temptation. But that is not what God has caused to do. Salt and light are active agents. They require us to use them. A light should not be hidden. It serves as a beacon of hope or a lighthouse to guide those on troubled water to safety. However, it is important to note that Christ does not promise that through our efforts, we can change the government or Christianize legislation or force the world to adapt to our values. And sometimes that can become our crusade, right? That we feel so strong and we, we, we just want to change everything. But that has never been the way of Christ. His disciples expected that when he came, the Messiah came, that he was going to overthrow the government and he was going to sit on an earthly throne. But Christ came to do something eternally more important. He came to overthrow sin and death and take his heavenly throne at the right side of God the Father. While we are called to stand up for truth, our ultimate goal is not changing laws, but changing hearts. I liked what one commentary said. They said, quote, we must remain active preservation agents, indeed irritants in calling the world to heed God's standards, end quote. But to be clear, we don't need to be irritating. Um, irritants means that there's going to be a rub in the way we as Christians live our lives and the way the world operates. As pastors and leaders, it can be difficult at times to act as salt and light in a world that prefers truth to be something each individual defines for themselves. You've heard it said, maybe through social media or other things, this is my truth, you know, whatever that person's referring to. And not all that is bad, but there is a feeling that only I can tell myself what my truth is. But as Christians, we know that the word of God is our ultimate standard of truth. And this is something I've even been wrestling with. I was meeting with a young woman um, for a while, and she um, is an international student, and uh, she was asking me about my faith. Um, she is not a believer, but she's read through the Bible. And as we began talking, she started asking some really hard questions about God's word. And I'll admit, I mean, it was a little challenging to answer because the truth sounded so hard when I said it. She asked me, she's like, so what you're saying is that if what happens when people don't believe Jesus Christ as their savior? What happens to those people when they die? And I had to tell her, well, according to the word of God, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, their savior will spend eternity separated from him in hell. And even though this is the truth, it was hard to say it because 
I know that she's not a believer right now. And I did encourage her um, to continue reading her word. And I said, it's a journey. And I mean, I did not give her any condemnation and neither did she feel it. In fact, she respected me um, for explaining, you know, my faith to her. And my hope and prayer is that she will continue to read God's word and the light of Christ um, will show itself to her and that she will become a believer. But it did hit home to me that what we preach is not an easy truth. It's not. And so I want to encourage us all to take heart that it's okay that what we preach is not always easy as long as we preach it in truth and love. And as we go forward this week, let's not shy away from the darkness and decay we see in the world, but rather let us be salt and light. Thank you again for joining us for the Urban Shepherds podcast. I hope this has been an encouragement to you as you study the Word of God through the lectionary text, or just as you just are advancing the kingdom in the city. We want to hear your voices. Please follow us, subscribe, and uh, like, maybe review the podcast, and share it with your friends and family. Share it with those believers who are seeking to advance the kingdom in the city. Again, just thank you so much, all the new podcast listeners and all of our uh, returning podcast listeners. We would not be able to do it without you. If you'd like more information about the Christ Victor Church Plant Movement, you can find us at our website at ctvchurch.org. You can find out more information not only about us, but about the CTV churches and how you can become a part of this urban movement. We just thank you so much, and I want you to be blessed in the city.